And welcome to ABC Gotham, your New York City amateur history podcast. I am your host, Kathleen. With me is your other host, Kate. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening today. It is so great to have you listening to us. We bring you funny, weird, interesting New York City history, a different topic for every letter of the alphabet. Oh my gosh, we are nearing the end. Kate, holy cow. We are. We're all the way up to letter X, which is pretty amazing. And I, I do know that some people will, might have a problem with us calling this the X podcast. Mm. Just on the basis of the first word is not X, but you know, find, you know, I, we will be happy to take submissions for next, uh, seasons, the letter X. But, uh, for also, today. It's our show. So yeah. It's our show. <laughs> Mm. And um, so today, Kathleen, what's our topic? Today we will be telling everyone about Malcolm X. Right. And we do know that a lot of his history does not happen here in New York. Mm -hmm. He wasn't born here. Yeah. But there's so much of it does that um, very big impact on the city. I mean, the nation and the world, but the city as well, because he did make it his home for a while. Exactly. And he had a huge impact here. And I would say the the majority of his activism, especially towards the end of his life, was in New York City. And uh, spoiler alert, when he was assassinated, that was during his speech in New York City. And, uh, you know, we were have been really excited about doing this one ever since we sat down to come up with the alphabet. Mm-hmm. And... You know, this was really exciting. Hopefully, we'll link to some of these on our website. But if you just go back and watch some of his speeches and debates and mm. television uh, interviews, it's mm-hmm. so, he's such an amazing man to watch. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I, I'm really looking forward to kind of going into this a bit, and I hope everyone enjoys. So sit back, relax. This is going to be probably quite a long episode. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about with Malcolm X. Right, but it's getting nice outside. So, you know, just put this on your iPod and go for a run or sit in a Take park. Take a walk, yeah. Yeah. All right, well, uh, Malcolm X was actually born Malcolm Little. Mm-hmm. And he was born May 19th, uh, 1925. In Omaha, Nebraska. His father is killed, um, died. He is po- possibly pushed in the tracks of an oncoming streetcar. There's mm-hmm. different variations on the story as to what actually happened to his father. Um, three of his other, three of his uncles were killed and one of them was possibly lynched. So mm-hmm. really, really bad times, especially for uh, a young boy growing up. And he had seven um, brothers and sisters and mm-hmm. a single woman raising all of these children. You can imagine how hard this is, not only losing your father at a young age, but mm-hmm. then being raised by a young, I mean, by a, a single mother, uh, especially in the 20s and 30s, it must have been extremely hard. His mother mm-hmm. actually has a nervous breakdown in 1938 mm-hmm. um, when Malcolm X is only 13 and she's sent to a mental hospital for the next 24 years. Um, mm. the only way he actually, he and his brothers and sisters were able to fight eventually to get his mother out, but mm. it's really devastating to him. And he and his brothers and sisters are sent to foster homes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so sad. Uh, 
Yeah, and I I know we're really going really quickly over his childhood. I really mm-hmm. recommend his autobiography if you'd like to go into a little more of this. We're just trying to bring you up to speed to get into the you know the New York part of this story. Yeah, but, that book uh, is amazing. There's a link to it uh, on the page right there. It's really yeah, I highly strongly recommend, recommend reading, it. and it's really readable. Like it's for you know for a biography for history, it's surprisingly user friendly. It's it was really well written. Yeah. So. Extremely well. Um, mm-hmm. You can put this uh, on your iPod and then mm-hmm. take it to the park and read <laughs> Malcolm X's autobiography at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So just to go in a little more about his uh, uh, growing up, he, he actually does well in school and he's incredibly intelligent and you can't mm-hmm. miss that when you see him speak. Uh, yeah. However, he does drop out of school because of uh, a white teacher who tells him he has a dream as, when he's a child um, and a teenager mm-hmm. that he wanted to be he wanted to become a lawyer. He wanted to go through school, college, become a lawyer. And mm-hmm. I'm gonna not say everything that the teacher said to him, but she said that this right. was not a realistic goal for mm-hmm. a black person at the time that's not what she said but i'm sure you can you know what she says uh which he just drops out of school after that which is awful Mm -hmm. uh and such a waste but at 15 he goes to live with his sister in boston Mm -hmm. but kind of moves along he he moves around a lot he go he moves on to flint michigan and then by 1943 he's actually come to new york city and uh, he really gets into, because of his time spent in Flint, Michigan, he's mm-hmm. called Detroit Red. Um, he also had red, reddish hair from a Scottish maternal grandfather. But he, at this point, he's involved in drug dealing, gambling, m- my favorite crime, racketeering, which is... That's right, yes. Racketeering, because it's not a crime, it's talking <laughs> about a crime, which is a fantastic... Mm-hmm crime but he's also involved in robbery pimping he is actually declared mentally disqualified for military service when he tells the draft board he wants to steal some guns and kill some crackers so uh he does never doesn't go into the armed forces uh and this is really him bouncing around a lot, 1940. So we just talked, that was 1943 when he comes to New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 1945, he's back in Boston and starts this series of burglaries targeting wealthy white families. And then by 1946, he's arrested for uh, picking up. A, this is not the smartest thing. He's arrested for picking up a stolen watch that he left for repairs at a jewelry shop. Hmm. So he stole the watch. It wasn't working, so he dropped it off, but apparently it's a nice enough watch that they figured out whose watch it was. Right. So for this, he serves eight years. He's given an eight to ten year sentence, but he serves eight years mm-hmm. at Charleston State Prison hmm. where he... in prison he meets a man named john Bem- bemby mm-hmm. and really teaches him become like a voracious reader he reads everything he gets his hands on and this mm-hmm. is when he converts to islam and takes up the name malcolm x that's right i think it's even like his brother paid him a visit and his brother told right. him about his conversion to islam and about nation of islam and right and this guy remember this name because it's going to be important about nation of islam leader elijah muhammad 
Right. When he's in, he takes up the name Malcolm X, and the X symbolizes the Af- the true African name that he would never know. So it holds the place of a name that he doesn't know what it is. Doesn't have a saying name, that yeah. he says to quote him. He says, "For me, my ex replaced the white slave master name of Little, which some blue-eyed devil had." named little had imposed upon my paternal forebears Mm -hmm. so he makes a great point it's it's not really a name it's a name that's forced on him Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. rather than make up a name he just says i don't know what my name is and Mm -hmm. there's i'm hoping that we can post a link to it there's a really great um uh, interview with him on TV where he talks about this and they keep asking him over and over again, why X? It, what is your name? Isn't it true your name is Little? And he's like, no, that's not my name. And they're like, mm-hmm. what is your name? And he just keeps saying, I don't know my name. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's it's really, really amazing. And it's such a difficult concept for people to get to not have a name. Right. It's like, of course you have a name. You, it, It's right there on your birth certificate. End of discussion. And right. it's not. It's not his name. Yeah, exactly. And they they ask him over and over again, and they say, well, wasn't your mother's last name this? And wasn't your father's last name this? And he's like, sure. no, that's not really their name. That's just mm-hmm. the name that was forced on them. Mm-hmm. Um, an amazing, really great argument. Uh, so 1952, he's um, paroled. And this is where um, Elijah Muhammad comes into the picture. He visits him in Chicago, who he had corresponded with regularly when mm. he'd been in prison. Uh, and he starts, he really takes to the nation of Islam mm-hmm. and starts, helps to establish new temples in Boston, Philly, and finally Harlem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, to, to say he took to the nation of Islam is a serious understatement. He, he idolized Elijah Muhammad. He, you know, these, these, writings and these teachings just set him on fire it was it was you know he found his calling and yeah like Kate's saying as soon as he got out of prison he quickly rose to leadership position and he was a national spokesman he was establishing new mosques and uh and he was great on the radio and tv he made use of all the media he could get a hold of newspapers radio tv and he is actually these numbers are amazing to me he largely credited with increasing the membership in the Nation of Islam from 500 people, and that was in 1952, to 30,000 Amazing. in 1963. Another amazing thing about Malcolm X and the Nation of Islam is that before he converted, mm-hmm. he was extremely hostile to... Most to any religion, um, mm-hmm. he actually even in prison had the nickname Satan, Satan, um, yeah. because he was so hostile towards any mention of religion. But he, this, I mean, this really turns. He com- does a complete one eighty, mm-hmm. and you know, one thing, another quote from when he was in, when he reflects later on his time in prison, he says. Between Mr. Muhammad's teachings, my correspondence, my visitors, usually Ella and Reginald, his brother and sister, mm-hmm. uh, my readings of books, months passed without my even thinking about being in prison. In hmm. fact, up until then, I had never been so truly free in my life. Isn't that amazing? 
So it really, it, it, it does, it completely changes his life mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. pretty much, you know, saves him from the path he had been on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. His work with the Nation of Islam, he was like a media magnet. People loved watching him, listening to him. In 1969, Mike Wallace actually did a special about him. The special was called The Hate That Hate Produced. This was a week-long special. We don't do that anymore, you know? We don't have many series anymore. We don't have specials. Yeah. Um, week-long special has explored the fundamentals of the Nation of Islam, and it prominently featured Malcolm X. And after this special, then Malcolm found he was more famous than even Elijah Muhammad, which yeah. probably well, neither of them were him, very comfortable with. If you watch him, he's so... it's You can't help but being drawn to him like when you see Mm -hmm. him on tv he's incredibly handsome Mm -hmm. he's so well dressed and groomed Mm -hmm. uh he's also a um a really his presence he's very it's very impressive he stood at uh six feet three inches tall and he weighed Mm -hmm. about 180 pounds he's in amazing shape Mm -hmm. he yeah he's he's a great poster i don't want to say poster child but the great a great face for this movement yeah yeah he was he was and he knew his stuff is the thing he yeah you know could prove his points and discuss with everyone and and it's really amazing he's so eloquent like Mm -hmm. even just to hear him on the radio it's very you can't help but really be drawn in by what he's saying Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so around this time um, in 1950, Malcolm X actually wrote a letter to President Truman, Mm-mm. um, ex- uh, in opposition to the Korean War. He mm. actually, in the letter, declares himself a communist, which, if you know the time, this is not a great time to be writing the president <laughs> a letter and declaring yourself a communist. Mm-hmm. But that's not really what gets the FBI trained on him. They open the file when he does this, Mm -hmm. but surveillance doesn't, they start actually doing surveillance on Malcolm X in 1953, Mm -hmm. uh, not just because of the communist leanings and associations, but because of his rapid ascent in the Nation of Islam. Yeah, so he had he had gotten the attention of the FBI, and the FBI infiltrated the Nation of Islam, and this is just what the FBI did did or does uh they did it with all the you know the student uh demonstrating committees in the 60s they would infiltrate an organization and even uh, one fbi agent was one of his bodyguards yeah it's it's amazing i don't know does the fbi still do this i feel like there's no way but i, I found it sure, pretty amazing how far yeah, they, they got to. into sure the organization do. they're keeping us safe kate keeping us safe they're keeping us scared or they're keeping mm. me scared uh in ni- around the same time 1955 uh a woman named betty sanders who ends up becoming malcolm x's wife uh starts attending malcolm x is giving these l- lectures at this time mm-hmm. and uh he's giving you know just lectures at the temples and he she sees him give one of these speeches. She meets him at a dinner party. She starts regularly going to his his lectures. Mm-hmm. A year later, she joins the Nation of Islam, and she actually changes her name to Betty X. Mm-hmm. And um, 
one-on-one dates are not allowed within the Nation mm-hmm. of Islam. Mm-hmm. So they kind of meet at social events. It's almost with like tons of other people. Mm-hmm. And he he makes the point to invite her to these things, but this kind of goes on for years. Years? Um, Seriously? Years. That's years. Awesome. Um, so they meet in 1955. 1956, she joins the Nation of Islam. Mm-hmm. And then they do these, like, group dates mm. for a couple years and uh 1958 he proposes to her over the phone and they're married mm. two days later wow they have six daughters together which mm. is pretty amazing yeah six daughters two of them sadly are actually born after um his death but they're named for him malika and malak oh so then everything changed in 1963. Now, again, you have to understand how much Malcolm X adored and admired and, and really worshipped Elijah Muhammad, the leader of the Nation of Islam. He was Malcolm's mentor. He was his idol. Malcolm X would have given his life for Elijah Muhammad and believed him to be this pure and perfect model of Islamic manhood. He believed him to be a living prophet. In 1963, Malcolm X learned that Elijah Muhammad was secretly having affairs with as many as six women. All of these women were part of Nation of Islam. Um, he even had children with some of these women. So, yeah, he he actually confirms he he admits to doing this. Correct? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, he does. He does. He admits. And and it's really it's almost impossible to describe how seriously this shook. Malcolm X's convictions. He had strictly followed the teachings of Elijah Muhammad, which included remaining celibate until until his marriage to Betty. And and even worse, ah, oh, this this must have been a terrible moment. Elijah Muhammad requested Malcolm X to help him cover up the information oh. about his affairs. Yeah, this is the man who like gets him through prison and the man mm-hmm. who really changes his life. Turns everything around and and then he finds that he's not even adhering to his own teachings. And Malcolm X refuses to help him cover up the affairs. He's horrified about these bad choices. And God, imagine this mental state. He's gripped with guilt because he recruited so many people to a religion that now right. he was starting to think was fraudulent and was built on too many lies to ignore. So right around this time, uh, shortly after this, Malcolm was officially silenced by the Nation of Islam uh, for 90 days. He's he's still a minister within mm-hmm. the Nation of Islam, but he's per, he's not allowed to do any public speaking. Exactly. And up until now, he... This is kind of a lot of the famous speeches you think about. He, this is around the time before this happens, you have, um, he describes Martin Luther King Jr. as a chump. Mm. He criticizes the 1963 March on Washington as the farce on Washington. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so once Says a lot he of leaves very the- controversial, very, very shocking statements, but was never silenced for any of those. Right. So, yeah, so he, he was officially silenced by the Nation of Islam. Now, ostensibly, this is because he famously said of President Kennedy's assassination, quote, he never foresaw that the chickens would come home to roost so soon. Right. Unquote. Um, 
And after that, he was silenced. But a lot of people, including Malcolm X himself, suspect that he was silenced because of what he discovered about Elijah Muhammad's adulteries. So, yes, then it was March of 1964 that Malcolm X terminated his relationship with the Nation of Islam and founded his own organization. Well, another thing is the chickens coming home to roost, which maybe mm-hmm. we'll put a link to that speech. It's 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 wor- definitely worth reading. Um, mm. And... The, the New York Times at, wrote, uh, the, in further criticism of Mr. Kennedy, the Muslim leader cited the murders of Patrice Lumumba, Congo mm-hmm. leader of Medgar Evers, mm-hmm. civil rights leader, and the Negro girls bombed earlier in this year in a Bingham, Birmingham church, the, mm-hmm. the little girls that died. He said these were instances of other chickens coming home to roost. Mm-hmm. So when the New York Times write this, writes this as well, it's really damning because it's really, yeah. it's not just Kennedy who everyone is devastated by his death, mm-hmm. but it's all these other things that really, it affects more people. You know, they really are like, hey, let's make sure we make this offend as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he was officially silenced and, you know, he couldn't speak publicly as a representative of the Nation of Islam. And then Malcolm split from the Nation of Islam in March 1964. It was very public and very ugly. Also, this came out in 1993. Also, J. Edgar Hoover's FBI had planted informants and disinformation to inflame tensions, making the split far worse than it otherwise would have Uh. been. Now, we didn't know about any of this until the Freedom of Information Act allowed for public access to J. Edgar Hoover's Co-Intel Pro, was the name of this project, his Co-Intel Pro papers. That all came out in 1993. So this this was all deliberate, how this all came down. Well, he says when when Malcolm X splits from the Nation of Islam, he, as we said, he starts his own um, uh, Muslim Mosque Incorporated religious mm. organization. But he he says he's still a Muslim, and he he before it gets really ugly, he says he'd gone as far as he can go within the Nation of Islam because of its rigid political, rigid mm. religious teachings, which kind of is a slap in the face as well. Mm-hmm, he mm-hmm. also says um, he had desire. Uh, I mean, he'd really been going against a lot of civil rights leaders at the mm-hmm, time, mm-hmm. but he, at, at the time of the break of the Nation of Islam, he says he actually was, he really did want to work with other civil rights leaders mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that Elijah Muhammad had prevented him from doing so in the past. I see. Which is when it really kind of starts to get ugly and it's like pointing fingers and mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. it's interesting to learn this thing out with the FBI now. Right, right, exactly. They, the role they had in it. So then it was in April of 1964 that Malcolm X made his first independent trip to Africa and his first trip to Mecca. And that was there that he abandoned blanket racism. I mean, that was his belief. He, he was racist. He had every reason to be. He had every reason to right. um, no, feel that the, the white people were keeping the black people down. Uh, he had a ton of evidence for thinking that, but it was this trip to Mecca that what was his famous quote was he said he'd met quote blonde haired blue eyed men I could call my brothers. 
So it gave him this yeah. new outlook on integration, new hope for the future, and all of his speaking from now on was not just to African Americans, but to all of the races. And um, yeah, this is he also converts to Sunni Islam, mm-hmm. which is very different from from the Nation of Islam. Like they're mm-hmm. very different faiths, to put it mildly. Of course, as a Sunni Islam, part of your you're required uh, to actually go to Mecca if able. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas that's something not within the Nation of Islam that they're at all. That's not as much a an emphasis. Okay. Yeah, it's it's exactly. All right. Um. Yes. So another thing is that while he was on this trip, his passport indicated he had changed his name again. He had changed it to El Haj Malik El Shabazz, and and like Kate says, converted to Sunni Islam. Um, and it was there on his trip that he publicly stated for the first time that some whites can help the Negro to improve his condition in America, and that was a stance completely different from that of the Nation of Islam. That was not at all the official line. So. In June of 1964, when he came back, and now he is operating under the name El Haj Malik El Shabazz, he publicly announced the emergence of the Organization of Afro-American Unity in Harlem. That's the OAAU. He had been thinking about this before he even gone to Africa, um, but this was a multiracial group. It wasn't just for people of African descent. And by establishing a multiracial organization of African-American unity, his new speeches indicated that he planned to work with progressive Muslims, Christian, and Jewish people in America, plus African leaders, and ultimately his goal was to elevate the civil rights movement in America to a global human rights movement for all people of color. So now he's starting to work with the civil rights leaders, uh, the, the nonviolent civil rights leaders that we all know of. Which is amazing because, I mean, it's... It's very sad considering his assassination, how mm-hmm. much more, how much good work, how much more could he have done mm-hmm. within mm-hmm. his lifetime. Right, right. And, you know, splitting from Nation of Islam and, you know, speaking about new efforts that are completely different to their own methods was dangerous. It was very dangerous. He was a deeply hated outcast of the Nation of Islam. He was becoming an ally to the civil rights movement. And in 64 and 65, Malik al-Shabazz made several public speeches that America's white power structure should give the nonviolent Christian-based civil rights movement what they demanded, their fully protected civil rights, or it would have to deal with rising elements of black resistance to job, housing, and voting discrimination, clan activity and police brutality. So he was basically saying it's going to get one of the sources I was reading says El Haj Malik El Shabazz was potentially far more powerful than Malcolm X because his his reach extended through Africa, the Middle East and Europe and in his new spiritual and activist identity, so with his new name and his new focus, J. Edgar Hoover placed him <coughs> placed him at or near the top of the Co-Intel Pro list when he wrote the FBI directive entitled, are you ready? Prevent a Black Messiah. 
Oh, no. Yeah. So FBI and CIA surveillance intensified on him. Elijah Muhammad ordered Nation of Islam agents to tail him. He was harassed. He was assaulted. He got death threats from Nation of Islam members. Exactly. And at the time, there's a military branch of the Nation of Islam called the Fruit of Islam. Fruit of Islam. They're um, ordered at some point even to wire explosives to his car. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And not only are there death threats against him, but there's death threats against his family as well. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a technique. Um, now, to their credit, the New York City Police Department offered him protection many times. But, okay. and this that we know this from the Freedom of Information Act documents, but Hoover's FBI watched and recorded, but stood back. Had did not intervene, even when it knew of actual concrete confirmed threats to his life. Yeah, somebody actually calls um, the house and says, tell him he's as good as dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, the FBI gets um, a, an anonymous phone call that says, Malcolm X is going to be bumped off. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. At the same time, this is 1964, the Nation of Islam is actually suing to reclaim his house that he's living in, uh. in Queens, because they claim to own it. And they win. Um, he, Malcolm X and his family are, they have to leave their home. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. however, the night before... There's, they're going, they're trying to postpone the eviction the mm-hmm. night before the house is actually burned to the ground. Yeah. Um, he and his family are fine, but suspiciously, no, no one's charged with burning down mm-hmm. the house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a really, really rough time. Things are very tense. Yeah. And, and while this is all going on, um, one of the sources is saying Malik al-Shabazz should be credited, along with Dr. King and his nonviolent followers, with finally convincing the white power structure to move, to advance forward on civil rights. So Malik al-Shabazz, Malcolm X, represented an alternative to the nonviolent methods. So since powerful people will concede nothing unless you put lots of pressure on them, Malcolm X, Malik al-Shabazz, he was this very calm but powerful voice for the other black America that would not respond to violence by turning the other cheek. You know, you've got Dr. King and his non, non-violent people, and that's great, but, you know, there it could be that much worse. You People are pissed, rightly so, and it might not all be non-violent resistance. So Congress and President Johnson passed the Civil Rights Act in July 1964. And there we can be absolutely certain that a big part of why that was passed is their desire to prevent embarrassing protests like the August 1963 March on Washington or a national outbreak of riots. They knew the time had come that they couldn't just drag their feet on that any longer. And with the passage of the civil rights legislation, work started beginning on the Voting Rights Act, Malik al-Shabazz continued to be less and less critical of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., less critical of the SCLC, less critical of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, and he even published some documents that were supporting them. He wrote these memos. And one other big thing he did, this is in this is the 29th of January, 1965. Malik El-Shabazz testified before the Illinois Attorney General who was investigating Nation of Islam activities. 
So, if possible, this made his relations with the Nation of Islam even worse. He might have just signed his death warrant. Uh, Shortly after that, yes, uh, his house was firebombed. And the night of... uh, the night that his house was firebombed, that was actually Valentine's Day, 1964, he gave his last major speech in Detroit. So, okay, so he's getting tons and tons of pressure to stop his work. A lot of this is from the strange nation of Islam, but not all of it. This is what's interesting. So on, so it's on February 20th, 1965, El-Hajj Malik El-Shabazz informed Alex Haley, and this is actually his biographer. He, it's, as told to Alex Haley, of his doubts that the Nation of Islam was able to conduct all of this, all the threatening and all the harassment that he was enduring. And he knew this because years ago he had trained all the Nation of Islam members and he knew Mm. their limits. He knew their resources. He knew what they could and couldn't do to someone that they wanted to harass. Uh, He said, uh, for example, the Nation of Islam couldn't implement wiretaps They, you know, whoever was doing this harassment had used wiretaps because they were able to get information about his travel itineraries. Um, You know, they they would give they would make phone threats to the hotels he was staying in or people who looked like Nation of Islam agents would greet him when he arrived at some airport and only his inner circle knew his hotel and knew his room number. So somebody either had wiretaps or there was someone on the inside but it was it was that point he was realizing the level of harassment was so sophisticated that it had to be the government there was it couldn't have all been nation of islam so then it was on the 21st of february 1965 el-haj malik al-shabazz malcolm x was assassinated by a handful of nation of islam members Eyewitnesses testified that a squadron of policemen amazingly appeared just out of thin air in the Audubon ballroom Mm. just minutes after the shots rang out. They quickly apprehended the assailants. They uh, apprehended another one five days later. And a lot of people are very suspicious about that. Um, Many people allege that J. Edgar Hoover, you know, orchestrated a lot of this. They say he cultivated anger amongst Nation of Islam members, allowed the assassination to take place, and then caught the assailants immediately afterwards to discredit the entire Nation of Islam. It's very suspicious. There are a lot of uh, Malcolm X, uh, Malik El-Shabazz's speeches, really good, riveting, thought-provoking speeches. You can find links to them below. And a lot of the lessons he taught way back then still apply today. And there is even uh, the Malcolm X and Dr. Betty Shabazz Memorial and Educational Center in Upper Harlem. You can also find the link for that down there. That's amazing, amazing life. Amazing life. And as we said, it's definitely worth it to pick up his autobiography, Mm -hmm. read it. It's an amazing, it's an amazing life. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and again, I, I cannot overstate this. It's a really, really good book. The Autobiography of Malcolm X, as told to Alex Haley. Super good book. Really good. It reads like a novel. It's It was, I, I, I don't know, I think it was in high school and I read it. It was so good. Yeah, definitely riveting. 
Um, well, thank you for tuning in this mm-hmm. week for um, well, this episode of ABC Gotham. We hope mm-hmm. you've learned a little bit more. I know we kind of were a bit around the world on this one, but mm-hmm. I mean, his mm-hmm. his home base was New York, so definitely, definitely a huge uh, amount of his know. of his impact and, and activism was in New York. And on the Facebook page, you can see a bunch of pictures of him in New York. And yeah, he's an important important figure in our history. Yes, definitely. Well, thank you so much for listening, everyone. Yeah, thank you. We're winding up the alphabet, so um, the end stay is tuned. Here. We might have a few few bonus episodes we want to add in, but mm-hmm. um, we'll definitely have an update soon on an event we're hoping to have. Yes. And we will see you guys next time. Yes, talk to you next time, folks. Bye. Bye. For more ABC Gotham, go to our website, abcgotham.podbean.com. Special thanks to Podcasting's Brock. Music for ABC Gotham is by Big Rude Jake. ABC Gotham is a K2 production, copyright 2013, all rights reserved. A favorite song I wish you could be here with me On this night in New York City I wish you could be here with me On this night in New York City